So please, church, turn in your Bibles with me to Romans 16. Romans 16. And as you are turning there, I do want you to think for a moment about some of your favorite teammates that you've had in the past. Right? For those that have played a team sport before, I mean, th- think about in the past who some of your favorite teammates have been. There's probably some names of people that even just come up to, to mind when you think of your favorite teammates. So I want you to pull those up in your head as far as who are some of your favorite teammates. And then I want you to think about what made them great teammates. What made them great teammates? Now, for those of you that haven't played a team sport, you can still participate this morning as well. That's, that's fine. Uh, I want you to think about whether it be in school or at work or in church life um, where you've like, had to work to, with, with a team. You've had to work with others. You've had to complete a group project. Who have been some of the people that you have most enjoyed working alongside with? And put those, put those people in your mind. Think about who it was a joy for you to work alongside with, to co-labor on a group project with. And I want you to think about what made them such great co-workers. What made them great fellow workers in the, in the project that you had. And if you take notes at all, I mean, just start, jot, jot that down. Jot that person's name down. Jot some things about them that you can think of, that you remember Um, that stood out to you, that made them just a great teammate of yours, a great fellow worker, a great co-worker. For me, as I think through that, one of my all-time favorite teammates was Ryan Reap, which no one else in here really knows uh, except Brittany and, and my family. But here's why Ryan Reap was such a great teammate. And he was a basketball teammate. And then, and the first reason he was such a great teammate was because he was a hard worker, I mean, he just got after it. He wasn't lazy. Whether it was with basketball or with school or all aspects of life, he just worked hard. You knew there was, at every practice, every game, he was going to work hard. He was going to give an effort. He was a hard worker. <clears throat> Reap was also a great teammate because he was dependable. You could count on him to be there. Right? He, wasn't, he wasn't flaky. He wasn't like sometimes he might show up, sometimes he's not. He was dependable. In basketball, if you were guarding someone and your guy got around you, he was dependable. You knew he would come over and play help defense so you could get back. You could count on him to be there and to have your back. Reap was also, he was great at giving passes. Right? He would pass it to you right in the shooting pocket which for those of you that play basketball and like to shoot, you know that's important. It's different. If someone throws you a pass way up here, you try to catch it up here and then try to shoot. Or if you got to catch it down at your feet and then try to shoot, man, it's so nice when a teammate hits you right in that shooting pocket. It makes the shot so much easier. He sets you up. A good teammate will set you up for success in that way. They'll give you a good pass. Reap was also a great teammate because he would be genuinely happy when his teammates succeeded. Right? I've, I've, I've the last couple of years been coaching some of the boys' uh, teams, and, and none of them would act this way, but, of course. But, but some of their other teammates, I mean, they would maybe be missing shots, not scoring well. But the team won the game, and they were hanging their head like they, were, they had lost and they were defeated. And it's like, hey, the team won. Like, celebrate your teammates. Celebrate the success of the team. A great teammate knows how to celebrate his teammates' success and victory. When you hit a big shot, you knew Ryan Reap was going to be the first 
first one up to give you a chest bump or a high five or encourage you in that. He loved and he cared his teammates for his teammates. He encouraged his teammates. He put the, the, the success of the team over his individual statistics. He was a great teammate. And he loved his teammates. He cared, he cared for us. Uh, uh, when I actually had a collapsed lung, uh, uh, and I thought it was at first a muscle cramp, he was the one like rubbing my back, trying to loosen it up. And in hindsight, he was probably just rubbing all the air, pushing all the air out of my lung. But his, his heart was in the right place. He was trying to help. I think he was trying to help me. He was a great teammate. But what about you? Who are, who are some of your favorite teammates or fellow workers that you've had. Now, the reason I bring that up this morning is because we are, as we're coming to the end of Romans, and we still have a couple more weeks left of Romans, but as we're coming to the end of, of Romans, Paul is closing out this letter to the church in Rome. And as you just heard read, he gives this list of greetings and shout-outs to his comrades in Christ, or to his teammates in Christ, to his friends, to his fellow workers, to those who have been working together to carry out the mission of God. He, he greets them. He acknowledges them. He's thanking them. And in chapter 16 alone, there's over 30 people that he mentions by name. And don't miss, don't miss this. I mean, anytime we come to lists of names, we do kind of just want to skip through it, whether it's a genealogy or the end of a letter. We think there's nothing for us to learn, nothing for us that's there for us. But what this should tell us about Paul is that he was not a lone ranger Christian out to take the gospel to the nations all by himself. No, Paul had big ambitions for God, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We talked about being ambitious for God. Paul had big ambitions for God. But Paul knew that if you are going to be ambitious for God, you're going to need to be rich in relationships. If you're going to be ambitious for God, you're going to need to be rich in relationships. But many times we are poor in relationships or we are poor at relationships. An epidemic that, that people in our culture is, are suffering from the most is loneliness, isolation. We've done this to ourselves in many ways. We've isolated ourselves. We've, we've become alone. We've, we haven't invested in relationships because we haven't seen their value. But Paul knew if you're going to be ambitious for God, you are going to need to be rich in relationships because the mission of God gets accomplished in the context of community. The mission of God is going to be accomplished in the world in the context of community. There's not going to be lone ranger Christians, at least not many that, that accomplish much for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to share with you a phrase that has been used by people like John Maxwell and other leadership and coaching gurus, and it's a little cheesy. Let me, I'm just going to give that disclaimer. It's a little cheesy, but I like cheese, and I think you'll be able to remember it, okay, because cheesy stuff sticks with you, okay? So many have said this, all right? I've heard it from Maxwell and others. Many have said this. Teamwork makes the dream work. Have you guys heard this before? Teamwork makes the dream work. Now, maybe that's a little too cheesy for you. Maybe you're too cool to live by, for that to be at your, one of your mottos. But the underlying truth of it is very biblical. 
The underlying truth of that is very biblical, and the, the Apostle Paul would agree that teamwork makes the dream work. If we are going to be ambitious for God, if we are going to go disciple the nations, and if the God of peace is going to soon crush Satan under our feet, like we will learn about next week, I mean, that's, a, that's an exciting verse that's coming. The God of peace is going to soon crush Satan under your feet. If you are going to be ambitious for God, you're going to need to be rich in relationships because the mission of God gets accomplished in the context of community. Christianity is a team sport. Now, I understand I'm not saying Christianity is a sport. I'm saying Christianity is like a team sport, okay? But I'm probably going to say that throughout the sermon this morning. Christianity is a team sport, and that'll make more and more sense to us as we go through this text. Um, As we go through this list of greetings, we're going to talk about how first we should be thankful and express our thanksgiving for those that God has given us to serve alongside of us. Okay, that'll be one of the takeaways at the end of this, that maybe we need to be like the Apostle Paul and just acknowledge and give some thanks to people who have served alongside of us and who have been great teammates and fellow workers of ours. Also, as we go through this list of greetings, we're going to consider whether or not we are being good teammates to one another. And we're going to consider what is keeping us from being good teammates in Christ. And as we go through this list of greetings, we're going to see play out this underlying wisdom and truth from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I want to put that before you this morning before we dive into Romans 16. Because this underlying wisdom and truth is what is playing out in Romans 16. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word here in Romans 16, we ask, Lord, that you would help us not skip through this and and, and miss the truth and the wisdom that you would have for us. Oh, Lord, I ask that you would stir up in our hearts gratitude and thanksgiving for those that you have put alongside of us to be fellow workers in Christ. And, Lord, may we be thankful and grateful for the gift of being a part of this this team and to, to have comrades in Christ. Lord, may we be thankful for that this morning. Father, we also ask that you would convict us and show us of the ways that we are that we are not being good fellow workers, that we are not being good teammates in Christ to one another. And may you show us what is keeping us from that. May you convict us of that today, that we might turn from it and trust you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. How firm a foundation you have laid for our faith in this excellent word. And so give light, oh, Lord. Give light. Strengthen us, help us, cause us to stand strong in the faith, and uphold us by your powerful and righteous hand this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name. 
And all God's people said, amen. All right, Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So let us first consider Paul's teammate, Phoebe. Phoebe is from the church of Sancria, which was a town along the, the coast of Greece, about six miles north of Corinth. Phoebe is probably the one who brought this letter to the church in Rome, which is pretty cool. I mean, what an amazing responsibility that would have been for Phoebe to carry this letter to Rome, this glorious letter that has served the church so well for the last 2,000 years. Phoebe was entrusted with this letter to travel, which was not an easy thing to do back then, to travel and to bring this letter to the Christians in Rome. And so Paul is, in a way, introducing her here to the, the, to the church in Rome, and he's commending her and giving her this brief uh, like letter of recommendation, if you will. She was a stranger to the city of Rome. They could have thought, hey, who is this woman? Can we trust her? She's, she just showed up here. And Paul says, yes, here's my stamp of approval. I commend her to you. And look how he speaks of Phoebe. He first calls her our sister, He uses a a family term, a term of endearment, a term of love. She's not just the the FedEx delivery person who, you know, chucks your package out to your front yard like we experienced this week, right? This is a term of endearment. He loves her. She's our sister. This is a family term. A family term. Paul sees all those who are in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, as family, brothers or sisters. And I know brother and sister is a term, you know, if, you, if you've grown up in church, you've been in churchy culture, that we just throw that around, brother, sister, brother, sister. But let's not miss the significance of that. He's saying, no, for those of us who are in Christ, we are family. We are, we have this familial love and commitment to one another. She is our sister. And this sister, Paul says, is a servant of the church at Sincrea. Now, there's a little bit of a debate here amongst Christians as to whether this term servant, if this, is, if this is getting at an official leadership position in the church, or if Phoebe is just known for serving the church in a lot of ways. And the reason that there is a debate on this is because the term for servant that is used is the term diakonos, from which we get our words deacon and deaconess. And when it is used in the New Testament, it is used both to describe an official church office as well as to simply describe someone who serves. We saw in Romans 13 that the civil government is described as a diakonos, a servant of of God. Now, my understanding of this was that he's getting at this is an official office that she holds in the church at Sincrea, that she is serving as a deaconess. And the reason I believe that, and that's what Paul is getting at, is because of the way that Paul commends her, as well as because of how I understand the the church office of deacon or deaconess. 
And so in the church leadership structure, we, we see the office of elder or pastor being described in the New Testament as, as being those who oversee and shepherd and protect God's people in the local congregation. Those that will teach God's word authoritatively to God's people. That office is the office of elder or pastor. We see that it is most biblically faithful for that office to be filled by men, and they are to be called pastors or elders. Now, men and women, they have both been created in the image of God. They are both equal in value and dignity and worth. And yet we see God lay out in his word that the way that life works best in his world, the way he has designed us, is for us to have different roles, men and women, to have different roles in the church and in the home. But lest you think that Paul doesn't value women, which some accuse him of, lest you think that he doesn't value women, he... he, he does. I mean, so, so you know, people uh, bash Paul some because they'll go to passages of Scripture where he is, he, he's keeping women from being the primary protectors and proclaimers in the church. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't value women. And we see in Romans 16 multiple women here that he loves and that he values and that have been great fellow workers in carrying out the mission of God. And so may you see how he speaks of Phoebe and many of the other women here in Romans 16 and see how highly he values them, how big a part they play in the life of the church and in the life of the home. He values women, and we should as well in the church and in the home. And side note, in the next year or two, we will be teaching more about deacons and deaconesses as we start to install some here um, as we, we've planted, when we planted the church uh, five years ago, we wanted to first make sure that we all really understood the biblical office of elder and pastor, um, but installing the office of deacon and deaconess is something that we, we desire to see play out here uh, in the next year or two. But back to Romans 16, Paul here speaks very highly of Phoebe. He values Phoebe. He sees her as a sister. He sees her as a great deaconess of the church. He says that she has been a patron of many, meaning that she was likely wealthy and generous and had been a great supporter of many people in the church. Phoebe was a great teammate of Paul's. The fact that Phoebe got this letter to Rome is why you and I hold it in our hands today. It's why Martin Luther and the Reformers could read it and bring the church back to the great truth of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Phoebe was a great teammate. But I'm guessing, unless you've recently read Romans 16, you've probably never thought much about Phoebe. And that's probably a good thing, because that's one of the things that makes for a great teammate. They aren't primarily seeking after their own fame and accolades. Great teammates are okay with working behind the scenes and not always getting the credit that they deserve. Winston Churchill, he knew this truth during World War II. A story is told of him during the war that many of England's coal miners wanted to enlist and fight on the front lines. They wanted to leave the coal mine and go fight for their country on the front lines. Like that was the, the honorable thing to do, to be out there fighting and, and uh, to be in, in, right, you know, firsthand in the combat. And Churchill, he acknowledged their patriotism, but he reminded them of how valuable their work was 
to the cause of the war, actually in the coal mine. He said, some must stay in the pits, he said, and others must stay in the army. Both are equally needed, and for both there is equal credit. Looking ahead to when children would ask their parents what they did in the war, Churchill said, one will say, I was a fighter pilot. Another will say, I was in the submarine service. And you, in your turn, will say with equal pride and with equal right, we cut the coal. And church, listen, there will be times in life where God will call you to be on the front lines, where God will call you to be the fighter pilot, where God will call you to, to, to be in a position with a bit more recognition and attention that is set on you. But most of the time, most of the time, the work that we do that accomplishes the mission of God in the world is in the coal mines cutting coal. Most of Phoebe's life, she was cutting coal for Christ. And most of the ways she served Christ, you will never hear about. But she cut coal for Christ. Think about throughout your week, all the times, the ways that you serve Christ, the way that you serve one another, the way that you serve your family or your kids that no one else ever sees or acknowledges or recognizes. No one's writing a thank you note for, to you about it. But God sees God sees. And this is the way that the mission of God is getting carried out in the world. It's through most of the time, most of us being in the coal mines, cutting coal, serving Christ behind the scenes, not for our own fame or accolades, but for the glory of Christ. Phoebe was a great teammate. But let's, let's now meet the rest of Paul's coal miners. Uh, and as we go through the, this list, see if you can pick out how and why Paul is close enough with these people that he felt it was important to greet them by name. How and why Paul is teammates with these people. Look at Romans 16, verse 3. It says, Greet Prisca, also known as Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Okay, Priscilla and Aquila, they were a married couple. They had been expelled from Rome when the emperor Claudius kicked out all the Jews. They initially fled to Corinth, which is where they met Paul. They eventually then traveled with Paul to Ephesus. And now they are back in Rome hosting a church in their home. Now, here are some characteristics we know about them that make them great teammates and comrades for Paul. First, they were selfless and courageous. They were selfless and courageous. We don't know exactly what went down, but maybe there was at some point in their life, they risked their necks for Paul. Okay, uh, this could have happened probably in Ephesus where Paul's life was being threatened. But whatever happened, they didn't just think about themselves and their safety, but they were courageous and selfless enough to at some point risk their lives for Paul's life. They were selfless and courageous. We also know that they were hospitable. Hospitable. It seems that as we read passages of Scripture throughout the New Testament, wherever they lived, whether it was Ephesus or Corinth or Rome, it seems that their home is always open for the church to be gathered in. They've always got the people of God in their, in their house with them. They're always hosting someone into their home. 
Priscilla and Aquila were very hospitable. They were also very flexible. They were on the move. They lived different places. They went with Paul when he needed them to go. We also know that they were committed to Christ and teaching others about him. At one point, we learn in the New Testament that they have to pull Apollos aside and just explain to him a bit more uh, accurately the way of God. They could see that he was a gifted teacher, a gifted, gifted young man, probably called by God, and, and yet they, they pulled him aside and taught him and showed him and explained to him a little bit more the ways of Christ. What we see in Priscilla and Aquila, we see a great example of a married couple not turning in on themselves and making their lives all about themselves. But instead, they looked outside themselves. They considered the good of the team and the cause of Christ more than their own comforts. They considered the cause of Christ more than their own comforts. They risked their lives. They moved multiple times. And all the while, they practiced hospitality and taught others about Christ. They are great teammates to have. If you are going to behold God, build up the body of Christ, and bless the city and the world, if you are going to disciple the nations, including the one you live in, and if you are going to disciple the future generations in our church, you are going to need some marriages like this on your team. Now, I'm going to go through the rest of the list very quickly because we simply just don't know much about the remaining names Uh, We can speculate about these people some, but there's really just not much to read about them. But we do know that here are the people. Here are the people cutting coal in the early church in Rome. (laughs) And some of these people will likely end up being torn to pieces in gladiator games, all because they valued the cause of Christ more than their own comforts all because they valued the mission of the team more than their individual lives. And so today, although we don't know much about them, we can honor them and we can celebrate the fact that they are a part of the winning team. The Roman Empire has been done for a long time, but the church of Jesus Christ is just getting started, and it's larger than it's ever been. And so let's honor them as we read these people, uh, people that I, you know, I had contacted Brian, giving him a heads up on the text, saying, I don't know how to pronounce these, so just go for it, and he did a great job. He says, greet, notice some, some, some key words that will keep jumping out, okay? I'll try to add some emphasis to help you out. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. 
Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Now, it's, this is interesting. It's thought that these two were probably twins, okay, which says that Paul values having twins on his team, okay, and we do as well, which is we're glad to have Patrick and Penny in here and a part of the Franklin City Church team because there is a special power and ability that twins have. We know that. We know that. It's a value. They're a value add to the team. But these two twins, Tryphena and Trifosa, their, their, their names mean dainty and delicate, Okay, so they mean dainty and delicate. Their mama called them dainty and delicate, but Paul sees them as hard workers in the Lord. So even if on the outside you appear dainty and delicate, you can still be a powerful force and hard worker for the Lord. Tryphena and Tryphosa. He goes on to say, Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Now, an interesting note about Rufus in Rome, uh, because we do know from some other passages that there was a Rufus in Rome that is a pretty significant character. Um, In Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel was written and sent to the church in Rome. He mentions Rufus because he knows that there is a Rufus in Rome. And so in Mark 15, 21, he writes, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. It's thought that John Mark would not mention Alexander and Rufus unless he knew those guys and they were alive and they were in the church and he could explain, hey, yeah, these are the sons of the man that carried the cross of Christ. Okay? Now, certainly there could have been more Rufuses in Rome, so that we are speculating a little bit, but this could be the Rufus, the son of Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Christ. Verse 14. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrovus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Okay, we did it. Brian, we did it. We did it. Now, you'll notice a few times through this passage, Paul calls these people fellow workers fellow workers. They are workers that are working together. If you saw that word in the Greek, you would notice it looks a lot like the English word for synergy, and it has a very similar meaning. To be a fellow worker is to be a worker who knows how to work synergistically with others. These people know how to combine their efforts with the efforts of others to produce an even greater and exponential result and fruit. To be a fellow worker most simply means to be a good teammate, which is kind of the phrase I've been using this morning, but it's that biblical idea of being a fellow worker, knowing how to work alongside and with one another, knowing how my strengths cover up your weaknesses and how your strengths and my strengths will produce an even greater result than if we were just on our own doing it by ourselves. These people saw, Paul saw these people as fellow workers, as good teammates. Now my question for you, church, 
is could a brother or sister in Christ commend you as a good fellow worker? Not just a worker. We've got a lot of good workers, a lot of good gifted natural ability people that can go get stuff done. But would they commend you as a good fellow worker? As a good teammate? Someone who knows how to work well with others to carry out the mission of God in the context of the communion of the saints. Some of the most talented people that I knew in sports never reached their potential and never really amounted to much, all because they didn't know how to be a good teammate. And may the same not be true of you. What is keeping you from being a good teammate in Christ? Now, here, here are some things that I believe keep us from being good fellow workers for Christ. Uh, these keep us from being good teammates. They hold us back. They hinder us. And the first thing that keeps us from this is that if you're simply just not a, if you're not a hard worker, you're probably not a great teammate. Notice what Paul says over and over. He's commending these people. He's saying that they have worked hard in the Lord. That, that is repeated throughout this text. They are fellow workers, and they have worked hard in the Lord. Church, listen, when you are idle, when you are idle in the work that God has given you, you are prone to all sorts of sins and selfishness that will start to disrupt the mission of the team. This is when gossiping, and this is when lust, and this is when laziness, and this is when busybodies start to take over a local church team and its mission. It's when we are idle, when we are not exhausted at the end of the day from working hard for the Lord. And so church, listen, you are not saved by your good works, but you have been saved for good works. So work hard in the Lord. Work hard in the Lord. That's not, that's not legalistic talk. That's biblical talk. Work hard in the Lord. Wear yourself out by the end of the day for the Lord. Your sleep will be better. Lots of disruptions and distractions to the mission start to get ironed out when we are all working hard at the work that God has given us each to do. And it is actually in the working hard together that bonds us even closer together as a team, right? So if you've, if you've been in the military, you've gone to war with people, if you've been on a team and gone to, gone to competition together, if you've been in group projects and, and you've, you've been in the, the trenches working with one another, you know it's like this hard work together, it actually bonds us even closer together, right? Maybe, like, could it, could it be that the reason some, we, have so, we are so poor in our relationships with one another is because we're not working hard together, we're not on mission together, not really doing anything together. We're just idle, pursuing our own comforts over the cause of Christ. Christianity is a team sport, and your laziness and your complacency and your misguided energy and focus, it hurts us all. And therefore, Franklin City Church, work hard in the Lord. Second thing that I think is holding us back, keeping us from being good teammates. 
um, is when our ambitions are too small. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about be ambitious for God. Some of your ambitions are too small. If your ambition in life is to be comfortable, to retire when you're 65, to keep your kids out of prison, and to watch all that there is to watch on Netflix, if, that's, if those are your ambitions, you can probably do that by yourself. You probably don't need us to do that. You probably got it. You can probably keep people at arm's length and, and just do your thing. Oh, but when your ambitions start to align with God's ambitions, you will quickly see that you cannot do this by yourself. If your ambition is to disciple the nations, including this one, if your ambition is to disciple the generations that God has given us, you are going to need a team. If all you're trying to do in parenting is to, to, to hide your kids from what's out there, you can probably do that by yourself for a while. But God wants you to be ambitious for him. God wants you to be ambitious with your kids. God wants you to help your kids root out the sin that's hiding in their heart. And to do that, you're going to need a team. You're going to need the church for that. I mean, we want, I, I, I want to see every person in Franklin hear the gospel and see the gospel lived out. I want to see our grandkids and great-grandkids have a thriving, healthy church in Franklin that they can be a part of. I want to see Franklin City Church send out church planners to all the smaller towns in southern Indiana that need a healthy church right now. I want to see us send people and money to the ends of the earth so that those who have never heard the name of Jesus would come to cherish and honor the name of Jesus. Church, be ambitious for God, and you will quickly see that we need a team. Be ambitious for God, and you will quickly see that you need good teammates and that you need to be a good teammate. Another thing that keeps us from being a good teammate is when our love for our brothers and sisters grows cold. Now, one way that this happens is just simply when we stop gathering together. You know, there's a story of a, uh, an old story of a visiting pastor doing house calls, and he comes to a man who hasn't been at church in a while, and he's got a fire in the fireplace, and the man says, Pastor, wh why do I need to come to church? I've got my Bible. I've got the Holy Spirit. You know, I've got, uh, wh why do I need to go to church? Like, just, just leave, leave me be. I'm good with God. And the pastor goes over to the fireplace and he separates out all the logs and the fire quickly goes out. And he says, this is, this is what happens when we stop gathering together. We stop stirring up a love for God and a love for one another and our love grows cold. We need one another to stir one another up. And so just the first First, uh, maybe application point is just don't stop gathering together. Don't stop being together with one another. One of the, the, the mottos we said when we first started gathering as a church was, was be present and be patient. 
Be present and be patient. I know city group is weird when you don't know people that well yet. It takes, it takes years, honestly, to build deep fellowship with people in the culture that we live in. It takes time, but be present and be patient. It's going to happen. And we've seen it. We've seen it happening. For those that are ready to be present and be patient, it's happening. But it takes time. It takes us gathering together and stirring up one another, stirring up that love for God and for one another. But the pushback that you could give me on that is, well, hey, the more actually I'm with these people, the less I love them. If you're honest, sometimes, right? Like, because like, real life happens, we wrong one another unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. Like, like there's reasons, the ways we get annoyed with each other. So it doesn't always equally equate to just be together and it's, it's all going to work out. We're going to have a love for one another. But no, when we gather together, when we are together and, and we know one another and we live life with one another, one of the cause, what, one of the things that causes our love to grow cold is when we don't celebrate the successes of others, but instead we grow jealous and envious of them. That causes a heart to grow cold in a love for a brother and sister. If your brother or sister hits a shot or makes a goal and you're not up celebrating them and cheering, cheering them on, encouraging them, you watch out. Jealousy and envy and a cold heart starts to creep in. Cheer on one another. Maybe you've had a hard week. Many of you have. Many of you have a hard month, a hard year. But I'm telling you, when we, when we come to gather together, there are plenty of things that we can grieve over and weep over, but there are also plenty of things we can celebrate together there are plenty of ways you can cheer on one another and encourage one another right now. There are plenty of wins and victories that people in this church are having. Cheer on your brothers and sisters and you watch just your heart start to abound in a greater love for them. Another thing that causes our love for one another to grow cold is when our pride blinds us to our own limitations. If we are thinking too highly of ourselves, we are blinded, and if we are blinded to all of our weaknesses and limitations, then we start to lose our appreciation for how God has designed this to work. We start losing our appreciation for how God has designed the strength of our teammates to complement and cover up our weaknesses. We start to lose an appreciation for, for one another's giftedness. Listen, we can pick out anyone in this church and we could, we could highlight the weaknesses they have or we could also highlight the strengths and the giftedness they have. And when your pride is blinding you to your, your own weaknesses, then sometimes weaknesses in others is all you see. You don't actually see how God is using them for the good of the church and for your own sanctification and to carry out the mission of God. And so when God humbles you, man, you start to look around this room and you start to just be so much more appreciative and you start to have such a greater love for everyone that is in here and for all the ways that God has gifted us and trained us and called us. 
Paul loves the church. We see here in Romans 16, Paul loves the church. And he wants us to love one another as well. And one of the ways we cultivate a love for one another is by how we greet and welcome one another into our lives. Now, you all are lucky that Pastor Gary is out of town this morning because he takes this next verse very literally. And so we will look at Romans 16, 16. Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, when we see that phrase, holy kiss, we get hung up on the kiss part, I think. And maybe some of you right now are even a little nervous as to what I might ask you to do to obey this verse. You're second guessing who you decided to sit next to because you can feel like something's coming here. Something is going to happen. Uh, But take heart. I'm not going to have you kiss unless you would like to or unless you're sitting next to your spouse, then feel free if you have that person's permission. But kiss, kiss is actually not the word we need to focus on in this verse. Kiss is the cultural part of this command. It was common in this culture for people to be greeted with a kiss. Non-Christians did this as well. They greeted people with a kiss. There are still many cultures out there that that greet people with kisses on the cheek, right? These are like handshakes or hugs to different cultures. So don't get hung up on the word kiss. That's the cultural part of this command. The point Paul is making is that we should greet and welcome one another in a holy way. We hear the phrase holy kiss and all we're thinking about is the kiss. The word we need to be thinking about is holy. Holy is the word that is being emphasized here. Greet one another. Welcome one another into your lives in a holy way. A set apart way. A righteous and pure way. So whatever is culturally appropriate, appropriate in the context you live in, whether it's a kiss or a hug or a handshake or a high five, do that. But recognize that when you greet another Christian, you are welcoming someone who Christ has welcomed. You are welcoming someone who's, who Christ's blood covers. And therefore, this is a holy, set-apart thing. Remember what we learned back in Romans 15. Paul has already told us in Romans 15, 7. He said to therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Church, when we greet one another, when we welcome one another, we are demonstrating and reminding one another of the gospel. And I'm talking more than just greeting one another on a Sunday morning. That's certainly a small, a small part of greeting and welcoming one another is what we do Sunday morning. That's great. But that's just a part of it. I'm talking about how we welcome one another into our lives. I'm talking about how we welcome, open up our homes and welcome one another into our homes and to our dinner tables and how we open up our schedules to one another so that we welcome people into our calendars and and we pursue rich relationships with one another. When we do that, when we see the value of that, when we see the value of investing in relationships with one another, we are demonstrating how Christ has welcomed us. 
And Christ has not welcomed us because we were deserving of it. Christ has not welcomed us because we are just so pleasant to be around. Christ has not welcomed us because it was the most comfortable thing for him to do. Christ has not welcomed us so that we could return the favor. No, he went to the cross and he paid the price for our sin and he gave us his righteousness so that we could be welcomed into the presence of God and it was all because of his mercy and his grace, his undeserved favor that he lavished upon us. And so when we greet one another, when we pursue one another, when we invest in the relationships we have with one another, we do it in a holy way. This is different from anything else. We do it in a holy way by remembering how God has welcomed us into a relationship with him. When we welcome one another into our lives, we remember that we are on Jesus' team, that the cause of Christ is more important than our daily comforts. And when we welcome one another, when we greet one another here on a Sunday morning, we remind one another that we are on Jesus' team and Jesus always wins because Jesus is the true and better teammate we have been longing for. Jesus has done the hard work that we in our sin could not actually do. Jesus is the dependable one who we can count on to come through for us and to make right all that we have made wrong. And Jesus has set his church up for success through the giving of his spirit and through the gift of one another. Jesus now sends his people to one another to encourage and to comfort and to uplift and to pour out his love on his people and on his world. And so take heart, church. All that we have done wrong in our relationships, Jesus is making right. And we can look to Jesus as we now continue to pursue rich and right relationships with one another. What a great gift that God, through Jesus Christ, has made a way. He has made a way for us to be in a relationship with him, and he has made a way for us to be in a relationship with one another. If you are going to be ambitious for God, you're going to need to be rich in relationships. Rich in relationships. I don't know if you remember, uh, I'm sure most of you have maybe seen that Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and I, I thought of this this morning, so this is not, uh, you can fact check me if I, if I retell the story wrong, but, but George Bailey, right, he's, he's in some financial trouble, he's, he's uh, uh, lost money, his uncle's misplaced money, he owes a bunch of money, um, you know, he, someone has told him that he's worth more dead than he is alive because of his life insurance policy, and so he's despairing, and he's, he's bankrupt, and he, he's, he's owing all this money, and he even thinks about taking his own life. And then what do we see happen? I guess this is sort of a spoiler alert, but it's been out for a while. It's a wonderful life. You've seen this, right? Okay, someone nod like they're still with me. Okay, 
right? So if you haven't seen it, it's your own fault, okay? So this is, the ending comes, right? Essentially what happens is because George Bailey is rich in relationships, all his friends and family just start pouring in and bringing money and bringing all this money now to, to him. And, 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 and because of the relationships that he has in the town, um, he is actually now what he thought he was bankrupt. Now he has the, the money and more so left over to pay what he needs to pay. And his brother, Harry Bailey, who's this like, you know, famous uh, uh, a war hero. He says, a toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. The richest man in town. And in a sense, that is true because he was the richest in relationships. He was rich in relationships. And church, this can be true of the church because this is true of Christ. Jesus Christ is rich in relationships. Jesus is the richest in relationships in the entire world. And in Christ, we can now be rich in relationships as well. And so let me encourage you to be rich in relationships. And maybe the first thing that you need to do this week is we now, um, I, I am winding things down, uh, maybe one application thing you could do this week is to, to follow the example of the Apostle Paul. And maybe you just need to write uh, some thank you notes, a note of encouragement to those people that have been great teammates and fellow workers in Christ alongside you. Many of, many of us, you know what it's like to be in the coal mines cutting coal for Christ. Not much is seen all the time. Not much is thanked. Not much is acknowledged. Maybe you need to take an follow the example of the Apostle Paul and just encourage some of the people that God has put in your life. Also this week, what I want you to consider, I want you to prayerfully consider and ask God to make you a better teammate. What's keeping you from working well with others? Are your ambitions too small? Has your pride blinded you to your own limitations and your need of others? Has your desire to be recognized and known kept you from being willing to cut coal for the cause of Christ? Have you not seen the value of setting up your brothers and sisters for success and giving them some good passes? If you're going to be ambitious for God, you're going to need to be rich in relationships because the mission of God gets accomplished in the context of community. Christianity is a team sport. We also do have an enemy that knows that this is the case. But we are not naive to his schemes. And so know that we have an enemy that does not want to see you work well with others. And so whatever that is happening in your life right now, whatever that is happening in your heart and your mind right now, if it's causing you to lean away from the community of of the church, if it's causing you to lean out of relationships that Christ wants you to lean into, maybe God can make you aware of that. And maybe that this morning needs to be confessed and turned from. Because we as a church and we as individuals, we are going to be ambitious for God. 
And we believe that God is going to continue to accomplish great things in this world. And we believe in this city as well. But the mission of God is going to get accomplished in the context of community, amongst the communion of saints. So let's ask Christ this morning to help us lean in to our relationships with one another. Let us have hope that Jesus can make right all that we have made wrong in our relationships. Let's pray.